0: Welcome to the Mycelium Network podcast. A podcast all about early stage web developers and the mentors and teachers that helped them along the way. Today we are joined by Ian, he's a developer advocate at Postman, the world's leading API platform, and according to his GitHub profile, Ian also considers himself a maker, teacher, lifelong learner, and family man. Welcome Ian and thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me today.
0: It's a pleasure. So I gave a brief introduction there, but um, I've looked up a little bit of all the things you've done, so there's quite a lot to tell. Um, Can you give us a bit about your background and who you are?
1: Sure. I've been in the tech industry for about 26 years. Um, I studied computer engineering in Canada, and uh, I moved to the United States in the year 2000, uh, mostly to get into more professional web development work and uh, moved to uh, california southern california lived there for a number of years moved out to colorado uh, about almost a decade ago and uh, really love colorado it's pretty great out here but i've spent most of my career as a back-end developer but i've transitioned through various kinds of stages as a developer i've done devops duties i've done qa testing i've done everything from racking servers like actually putting them in the in the uh you know server racks all the way up to front end development. So when people talk about full stack development, uh, I, I, kind of envision like I can literally do everything from running the network lines into the servers, system administration on the servers, installing all the software all the way up through, uh, you know, uh, JavaScript in the browser and, and everything in between. I ran a web hosting business for a number of years for uh, small startups and it really got my interest in working at startups. So a lot of my career has been, uh, small early stage, uh, companies, but for the last, uh, gosh, eight or nine years now, I've been doing career coaching for people and just helping them understand, um, how to get into the tech industry and how to find jobs in the tech industry and focusing a lot on mentorship and education. So. Over the last eight years or so, I've, I've really pivoted uh, a lot of my role into more of the developer advocacy and developer education side of things and working on a lot of technical curriculum.
0: Nice, nice. And that, that fits perfectly for our audience, both the people we speak to and the people who listen to the podcast. Um, so I had a look at your GitHub profile, and through that and your LinkedIn, I discovered that you are behind the website techinterview.guide. And this looks like an exceptionally good resource for our audience. So for those who do not know about it, which includes me, can you please um, tell us more about this resource?
1: So about eight years ago, when I started uh, kind of down the journey of becoming kind of like the idea of a career coach, I was mentoring for a code school in Colorado called the Turing School of Software and Design. And I mentored for them for about three years mostly just career development how to build a resume how to get an interview how to how to uh, uh, you know really stand out to a company throughout my career I kind of progressed from senior engineer into the management side and then back again so I've I've gone back and forth between management and hands-on contributor um, all the way up to like director of engineering type of roles and so I had a lot of perspective on, how to really stand out to a hiring manager, what I look for in resumes and things like that. And so I was turning around teaching that to other people. And then the school turned around and offered me a job as an instructor. And so I was actually teaching their backend software program for uh, almost four years, but also still helping with a lot of career development. But by then they had hired a whole team of people to do the career development side. And when I left there about a year ago, I wanted to still do a lot more around just the scalability of making this information known to a wider audience. So I put together the website tech interview guide. It's been up for quite a few years now. Um, but I've been gradually adding content to it. And a year ago I decided, you know what, I'm going to try live streaming. So I live stream twice a week and you can find all that information on the, on the website as far as when I live stream, but I live stream just career advice. We do resume reviews. We talk about what kinds of projects you should build. Um, how to really stand out to companies you know what what goes into a good resume or cv what should you leave out uh, stuff Mm -hmm. like that and how to evaluate job postings all kinds of fun stuff on the on the live stream and um so yeah so the website is is kind of an it's it's a start of that information base and then i kind of branch out from there into an email newsletter youtube channel with lots of archived videos Um, as well as information to the live stream so however you want to consume content if you're a reader there's lots to read if you just want audio there's an audio podcast if you want videos you can go to youtube and if you want to interact live you can come over to the live stream so i want to try to cater to everybody's learning style for however you want or need to consume that content i try to make that available for you
0: i think that's actually critical like for me As I slowly start pivoting toward the education areas, that is something that I definitely have top of mind is that there are so many different ways that people like to learn. And oftentimes you find a platform would focus on only one specific thing. So then you kind of have to supplement the one resource with another resource with another resource, and then it becomes a little overwhelming. I I find when I speak to people, that's often a thing that I mention is one I'm, I'm, tr- uh, I find it hard to find a resource that caters to how I like to learn. And two, there's so much that I don't know where to begin. And once I start it, I quickly get lost in the forest and I, I don't know. I will lose my way. So that is, that is really interesting. I, I love that you do that. I also noticed on your link tree page that you have got a interview. I think it, maybe it's you that's running it or not sure, but it's an interview prep discord server.
1: Yeah, that's part of the techinterview.guide website as well. So the the Discord server is really for the community to hang out, talk about projects. Um, I do resume reviews through the Discord server as well. Um, but also I tell people if if you want to ask a question anonymously, you can DM me on all these platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, nice. you know, Discord, and so on. And I put those questions in an anonymized way into a particular channel mm-hmm. in that Discord server that I can draw from during a live stream. So I can say, Hey, things got a little quiet. People aren't chatting or sometimes I'll start the stream while people are joining the stream. And I'll just go grab a random question out of the, uh, out of that, uh, anonymous Mm -hmm. questions channel and I'll answer that live on the stream. And then I go back and I like clip those sections out and make smaller YouTube videos out of just the question and the answer and things like that. So the Discord server is really just a, a place to support one another mm, in the job mm, hunt. Mm. Um it's it's still a pretty small community, but at least on the Discord side, we we have about a thousand people following on Twitch and we've got several hundred on YouTube. Um and so more people are interacting kind of live on the live stream than than they do on the Discord server, but that's okay. Again, yeah, I just yeah. want to make it available for people that want that avenue of of extra help.
0: Mm, yeah, that's awesome. That's really great. I think it will be a great like place for the community that that I'm also fostering to go for sure, because on the mycelium network one we don't have specific like support for that part of of the getting into tech thing. So I think it would be great for people to join that. So we'll provide links to all these things in the show notes. So as a mentor, as a teacher, what advice would you give to folks new to the industry, like? For early stage web developers, maybe how they can, you know, what they should shouldn't do, and how to keep themselves motivated. Because I find that people start off being super excited, and then they kind of, it's like they hit molasses and they uh, slow down. Uh, what do you do when you hit those 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 moments where it just feels like you're getting nowhere?
1: I think it's important to understand when you're becoming unproductive in that struggle. When, when I taught, we would talk about productive struggle and unproductive struggle, productive struggle is where you're trying different things and you're, you're gradually making progress on a solution to something. Unproductive struggle is where you find yourself kind of working in circles, where you, you find yourself trying something over and over again that you've already tried and you're hoping for a different outcome this time, or you're trying to change too many things and now it broke and you don't know why, and you don't know which change made it so. I think it's important to be patient with yourself. You're still learning. Mm -hmm. It's important to be patient. It's important to give yourself, um, you know, kind of grace and flexibility of I'm still learning. It's okay that this is not working, but when you start facing that unproductive struggle, that's the time to reach out to someone for help, Mm -hmm. that's where you need to come to a realization that trying this, the way that I'm doing it and the the direction that I'm going, I'm not making progress. I really need to ask somebody for help and have a community that you can reach out to where you can ask for advice and say, I've tried this, and I've tried this, I've tried this. None of this has worked. What yeah. else can I do? And I think that that's, that's the important differentiation because especially with a lot of people that are trying to learn remotely right now, they mm-hmm. feel very alone. Yeah. And it's easy to give up when you feel alone. And that's why it's important to have a community of people around you that can help you mm-hmm. and, and support you in your learning goals and what you're trying to learn and what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And having that community be people who are also going through what you're going through. So not just a community of people that can just hand you the answers, but yeah. people that can work with you through the answer to try to understand why that's the answer. That's the important part. As Mm -hmm. an instructor, I had to be careful not to just give my students the answer. I had to sort of coach them to find the answer themselves and say, well, what if you tried this? Or what if you tried, you know, this and just kind of like point them in the right direction and kind of give them a a bit of a push. Mm -hmm. Mm Self-motivation is hard, though, especially when you're learning online and you're learning by yourself. It can feel very hard to stay motivated because programming is hard. Yeah. The, The initial learning curve is it can be difficult if you pick up those concepts quickly it starts to feel easy but everybody's going to hit a struggle at some point yeah. i still struggle i've been doing this for 26 years and i still run into problems and i'm still googling answers and looking for up documentation sure. on how do i do that date format thing again <laughs> in this language or that language or mm-hmm. you know we we all do we all do you know nobody's nobody's got everything memorized all the time
0: oh yeah no. and
1: I think just understanding that things are constantly going to change in tech. And so what you learn this year could change next year. It could change five years from now. Like the Mm. way that I did programming 25, 26, you know, even 30 years ago when I started college is completely different now. We did a lot of low-level programming, a lot of C and assembly, and I haven't touched C or assembly in many, many years. Um, Mm -hmm, I've dabbled mm -hmm. in it a little bit when it comes to Internet of Things for controlling things like the lights and and stuff behind me or little motor circuits and things like that. But I don't have to program at such a low level anymore. And especially with a lot of high level languages like Python and JavaScript and C Sharp and so on that are out, um, it makes it a lot easier to get into coding and see some really quick progress because of the high level languages and, and what they offer. Mm-hmm. But it's also very easy to get stuck if you don't understand the fundamentals. So stick with it, know when to reach out for help, and then find a good community that can that can help guide you to an answer, not just hand you the answer.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Um, I I have to constantly stop myself. I when people struggle with something, it's it's almost as if you feel their pain and you just want it to go away. So you're just like you just want to give them the answer, but you know that in the long term that doesn't that's actually worse than than kind of guiding them into answering the question themselves. And I think that for me, I had a, a, somebody that's now a very good friend of mine who, when I started about 11 years ago or so, would would do that. Like if I went to him for advice, he would kind of hint at what the possible answer could be, but vaguely enough that I'd have to figure it out. But at the same time, he would he would back that up with, I know you can do this just you know just think about it that's a little great. more yeah. and then and then if you still get stuck come back to me but usually just that that little morsel and that encouragement um that like belief in me like that you can do this just think about it for a second mm-hmm. those two things combined really made a difference and then when you find the answer it's that yeah, oh, that moment when you just like want to jump up and show everybody look it works
1: <laughs> i get sure. this for thing sure. look at yeah, this going and
0: then you want to like tell everybody about how you did it. And I think those moments, I used to do that a lot more than I do these days. And I want to get back to that is when you're in that moment where you're excited about this thing you struggled with and then figured out, write about that. Put all that excitement and all that knowledge Mm -hmm. down somewhere, even if it's like really, really rough. Because then you can go back and once you've calmed down and everything, you can read over it and like Format it nicely and put a blog post because I promise you this is going to help a bunch of other people that run into the same problem. Like, talk through how you thought about this, your thinking process. I think that's what a lot of instructional information misses for me is talking through the thinking process, not just, you know, this is the code you need to type out to make this thing happen, but how did I come up? with this code that makes this thing happen how did i reason about it what it was like what thinking what did i try yeah. that didn't work like that is also important so yeah i think it's great to like don't uh, give the answer uh,
1: <laughs> another good uh another good point about that about writing up your experience those make really good blog posts uh, mm-hmm. you know on medium or dev2 like all those kinds of platforms where other people are also trying to learn and and being able to document your journey also shows a good progression of your skill over time as well. And sometimes that can be the self-encouragement of, look how far I've gotten in the past year. Look at all the yeah. things that I've done, or even the past you know, several months. Look at the mm-hmm. progress that I've made. I think that that's important to do. But from an employer's point of view, it's also nice for us to be able to see your progress and how you've learned and what you've learned and so on. But here's mm-hmm. another tip, if you really want to stand out to employers. Take those blog posts, make a five minute lightning talk about it and go to a local meetup and say, this is my experience with such and such. If you go to that meetup and you give a talk that says, here's how to use technology, whatever, you're going to get a hundred people telling you why you're wrong. (laughs) But if you go to that meetup and say, this was my experience learning this, and this is how I applied it, you're like, no, nobody can argue with experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At best, they can come and say, next time, try this. Next time, you know, you could maybe try this or try that. And they're going to give you encouragement and they're going to give you other ideas to kind of take that to the next uh, sort of level and, and, and next steps. But that also makes really good exposure for what we call discoverability of mm-hmm. you as someone in technology. That's that's what employers are going to be looking for. They want to find a way to find you. Yeah, And yeah. if they have an employee go back and say, hey, you know what, I, I heard this guy Ian talking to this meetup, of, you know, they're learning this and that. And, you know, they seem kind of clever and they worked on a pretty interesting project. Now you've got people talking about you within a company mm. or people are going to come up and introduce you. And, and if you end that lightning talk with like, by the way, I'm looking for a job, yeah. People are going to approach you and say, like, hey, we've got openings, right? And now you've got mm-hmm. people introducing you who have a, a potential opening at a company who can maybe submit your your application and so on. Um and so it's it makes for very good networking as well yeah, to yeah, try sure. to get those jobs in tech.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and that is definitely a good way to to get into it because I think in the beginning, like your CV is just going to drown in the pool of CVs. Like I know, it's it's some of the yes. clients that I that I've worked with when they've advertised a position. I mean, they get in the order of three, four hundred applications. Like it's so hard to yeah. stand out in in such a large um, cohort. But if somebody comes and says, "By the way, so and so has applied," and I've personally seen them do some really good stuff on GitHub, I would really, you know, be sure to interview that person. That helps you a lot. And I think right. that's where contributing mm-hmm. sure to open knows. source is is also can really be impactful. I've had people contact me mm-hmm. and say, "I saw this and that contribution you made on this and that open source project, and it was really cool to see that." Are you open to changing roles because I currently see you here? And so that happens just naturally. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't even have to go look for an opportunity; the opportunity came my way, and that is rare in this world.
1: Yeah, uh, another good point about CVs and resumes. The way that you build your CV and resume to stand out is to find out what that company cares about and, and customize your resume for them. So a common piece of Uh advice that I give on my live stream is make a CV, like make a really, really big CV, put every project, every technology, give me lots of bullet points about all the things that you've done, all the things that you learned in that project. Um, Now you're not going to submit this big giant CV to anybody. But you're going to document everything. And this is going to kind of grow over time. And so as you find work or you work on new projects, you're going to continue to add to this. There's a riddle that I learned as a child that basically says, how do you make a sculpture of an elephant? You start with a giant block of stone Mm -hmm. and you chip away everything that doesn't look like an elephant. And you can take the same approach with (laughs) a CV where how do you look like the best candidate for a job? You start with an enormous CV of all of this information Mm -hmm. and you chip away everything that doesn't make you look like the best candidate and so you take away the projects that that company doesn't care about you take away the technologies that that company Mm -hmm. doesn't care about you take away you know bullet points of previous jobs and so on so that you it's a lot easier to just go in and delete things and so you make a copy of that big resume and you start taking away everything that that company's not going to be impressed about or it's not going to stand out to them as much If they're looking for a Python developer who knows JavaScript and you know both of those technologies, but they're looking for a Python developer who maybe also knows JavaScript, then you're going to promote more Python projects Mm -hmm. and you're going to list Python as a primary skill. You also know JavaScript and so you might include one JavaScript project to kind of back that up if you've got that range Mm -hmm. of, of technology. Now, if you're new in tech, you're not going to have that breadth of knowledge and that's okay too, but you can focus on the primary skills that they want and highly tailor that CV to the kinds of projects that that company is going to care about. And, and then, you know, wow. you can bring that back down to like a one page, maybe at most a two page CV, um, and, and submit that because yeah, yeah. companies want to see in a hurry, are you going to provide value and what kind of impact are you going to have at my company? You want them to see that impact in a way that says, oh, I want that person on my team. I want them to come here and do that too. And so you have to be careful yeah. when you're writing out those bullet points of not just saying, I did this, I did this, I did this. It's like, okay, but what impact did that have? Tell me what the result of doing that was. Like I wrote, you know, certain number mm. of software tests. It's like, okay, but how did that help? Well, that increased our test coverage by 15%. Um, I did, gotcha. you know, I refactored a bunch of code and that made it five percent faster. Tell me the impact of yeah, what you did. Yeah. Because that kind of stuff is going to stand yeah. out a lot more to recruiters and hiring managers as well. Is is seeing that impact? But that highly tailored resume is going to stand out mm-hmm. much more than people who are just putting together a single CV and sending that to everybody, hoping that you know, it's like it's like casting yeah. the net and hoping you catch a fish, right? You wanna you wanna be very <laughs> targeted with. I wanna apply at this company. This is what they care about. Let me take all the stuff out of the CV, make a customized CV for them, and submit that. You're way more likely to get a phone call especially then if you can also get yeah. people in the company to say hey i heard them talk at a meetup or i saw some open source by them and get them to say your name they're far more likely to call you and, and get you into that interview and then it's up to you to actually pass the interview
0: yeah 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 for sure i remember when i applied for a job at mozilla i went as far as as using their branding like their color scheme and the fonts and stuff they use, great i like yeah. made sure that i used the same color scheme and stuff like that and and they called it out like when when they said they said your cover letter was what made us look at you and nice. then the rest followed on from there but yeah. that it was like in this sea of cvs there was this one that was like oh Wait, that looks like something we made. (laughs) It's like, oh, wow, this guy actually looked at us and did the branding and everything.
1: Yeah, I saw someone do that uh, just this past week. Somebody submitted a resume to look at and uh, it was gray with light green, you know, accents and so on. Like it was, it was uh, kind of a medium gray with, with a little bit of white, but a lot of like green accents. They were applying to Spotify and those mm-hmm. are the colors that they use in their app. Oh, perfect. And so it like stood out perfectly yeah, because yeah. it looked like the Spotify, like they didn't, they didn't lay it out to look like the Spotify app, of course, but they were using the same color scheme. Mm-hmm, those kinds mm-hmm. of things really stand out and, exactly. and let a company know like I did this on purpose because I care about your company. Another tip that I often give people, if you're unsure what kinds of projects to build, to put on your CV, if you can find those companies Mm -hmm. where you want to apply, go see if they have a technology or an API or something like that, that you can build into your project and put that project on your resume because it looks a lot more impressive to say, Hey, I built this with your tool or something. It can also change that introduction a Mm -hmm. little bit from I'm Ian and I have these technical skills to I'm Ian, I'm a user of your software and I like it so much. I want to come work at your company and be a part of that. It changes that introduction. Now as an entry level developer, you don't often have like a, a, you know, a huge amount of projects or a huge amount of time to just build dozens and dozens of projects, but If you can find these little bits of technologies or libraries or something that a company builds and and uses themselves, something that Uh they've open sourced, see if you can add that to an existing project or, you know, a couple of existing projects and put those projects on your resume for or CV for that company. It'll really stand out to them to, yeah. to let them see like, oh, you built like the three projects that you put on your CV all incorporate our different technologies. That's great. Clearly you want to yeah, work at this yeah. company because you're targeting that kind of stuff for us to see. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah.
0: So, um, like you said, you've been in the tech industry for a very, very long time. What keeps you motivated? What keeps you in this industry?
1: I almost left tech, honestly, back in uh, 2010, I burned out pretty hard. I was working at a startup where I was working a lot of hours. And uh, I was talking Mm -hmm. to management Mm -hmm. at the time about, you know, like, hey, I'm working on this really critical piece. I'm the only one that knows it. I need help on this so that I can like take time off and, you know, like stay recharged and whatever. And I just wasn't getting the help. And uh, so I burned out really hard. I almost left tech, but I think what keeps me going is just my curiosity of how does that work? I want to know how that works. I want to go build that myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, like even these, you know, I've, I've, for those that are just listening, I've got a lot of internet of things, lights kind of on a wall behind me. And I've been learning how to program those through different APIs. And part of it is just diving in on like, how does that work? Can I do that too? Like, what would it take? And just having that kind of curiosity of you know what even if I can't figure out how to control these lights over a Bluetooth kind of thing because the Bluetooth library doesn't exist for this particular light I would have to like go write my own Bluetooth libraries like that's a lot of low-level code that I'm not sure I'm very well equipped (laughs) to get into but but it's going to be fun just exploring the process a little bit just to find out like can I turn Mm -hmm. them on or off with Bluetooth like that would be enough to satisfy that curiosity and then I'll move on to the next thing But in tech, there's so much change, like there's always going to be new, new languages, Mm. new frameworks, new libraries, new ways of doing things. Everything from, you know, what's, Mm -hmm. you know, what's been happening over the past few years with web three and blockchain, you know, like things are drastically changing around the the tech industry and there's so much to learn all the time. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that every technology that comes out is going to be great and fantastic. And you, you know, you go, what we say, you go all in learning a particular thing but you can dabble in it just to see do i like this or you know do i want to understand it just enough an an example with this is i've been primarily a back-end developer i do consider myself full stack i'm not great at javascript on the front end so i wanted to take a course to learn react not because i want to become a react developer but i wanted to understand how does react work like, what is a component? Like when I hear people talk about React, I wanted to educate myself a little bit on what is this technology and what are these words that they're saying. And so mm. I took a, a small React course just to learn about it and and do a couple of small projects. And I, like, I'm I'm not going to put React on my resume because I don't want a React job and I can't speak enough to it in depth to go get a gotcha. job doing React development. But now I understand some of the technologies and some of the mechanisms of how it passes data around and uses these components Uh and so for me what motivates me is knowing there's always something new right around the corner and so in six months time there's going to be something new in another six months time there's going to be something new that i can go explore just to learn a little bit just to see if i like that and over the course of my career i've actually pivoted my career a little bit based on the things that i wanted to go learn i'll dive in and i'll go explore that topic and then I might go find a job doing that. I might go find a company doing that thing and explore what would it take to get a job at that company, build out some projects that will stand out to that company. And then I go get a job at that company and I'll work there for a year or two. And until that curiosity is completely satisfied and then think about, okay, what else do I want to do? Like, what do I want to do next? And that's what I love about technology. It's a, it's a giant choose your own adventure where you get to choose what you do next. And, and you don't have to feel like you have to stay in any particular area. Um, yeah. I, I hear from a lot of people like, well, should I get a QA job just to get into a company? And then how do I transition into mm. a programmer's job from there? Because some people think that once you're in QA, you can only do QA. It's like, no, oh, what yeah. you do is you start in a QA role. And then when you go apply for that software role, you make it sound like I did that on purpose because now I can write better software. I understand yeah. now how all of these systems talk and communicate and how to test things thoroughly. I did that on mm-hmm. purpose to make me a better developer and now I'm ready for a full-time developer job. And you, know, you obviously need to still be programming and, and stuff like that to show those skills, but you can pivot from one thing to another. You just have to have a story to tell about why you did that with intention to make you better for this next role and why that's going to help bring value to that company in that role.
0: Talking about career change and trajectories and all that kind of stuff, so in your career, maybe it was early on, maybe it was a key moment later on in your career. Can you perhaps call out a person or event that happened that changed the trajectory that your career was going in?
1: Mm. I think the one piece of advice that stood out to me most And it didn't really change the trajectory of what I did, but it it did to some degree and really got me into doing more mentorship. When I was working at a company called SendGrid, which is now owned by Twilio, one of the founders of the company, his name is Isaac Saldana, amazing guy, really, really friendly, really fantastic person. Gave me a piece of advice because he saw that I was taking on too much work because I was so curious and I was so willing to jump in and dive in on different things. He sat me down one day and said, Ian, humans are not scalable. Mm
0: -hmm. We build
1: systems to be scalable. We do automation to be scalable. Computers are scalable, but humans are not. You need to be careful with your time and you need to, you know, you need Mm -hmm. to teach other people what you know. And this is basically what I learned from the conversation. He didn't tell me like go mentor people and go teach people, but he's saying you as a person are, are, you have finite amount of hours in a day to get your work done. So you need to find a way of like balancing what you do. And I realized from that, what I needed to do was kind of replicate what I know in other people so that they could help and learning to trust that when I teach someone else to do something that, that I need to be okay with just trusting that they're going to do the best job they can. Mm -hmm. And if something happens and needs to be cleaned up or whatever needs to be fixed or optimized or something then I can help. Optimize it beyond that, but I need to at least give them the the space and what we call agency to actually go do that. And so that really kind of kickstarted mm. this whole idea of becoming a mentor. And so that changed uh, a lot of the trajectory of what I was doing at SenGrid at the time, uh, which then got me interested in becoming a manager. So I started exploring the management track uh, more. I had been a manager previously. But this really got me into like, okay, I want to go explore full-time management so that I can help coach other people's career direction and so on from within a company of this is how you're applying your knowledge, but we also need your knowledge in this or that area and like really helping people kind of define and refine what they wanted to do. And it really set me on this journey about taking what I know and sharing it with other people and then finding joy in their success because as a manager... You don't have that hands-on contribution anymore of like, look what I did. Your hands-on contribution is now, look what my team did. Um, And so you have to like motivate them and learn what it takes to motivate other people. And that inherent motivation is very tricky sometimes. And so being a people manager is a very different skill set than being a hands-on programmer. And so I I went back and forth. As I would do management, I would miss programming. So I got back into programming. Then I missed doing management. So I got back into management. And so I, I went back and forth. And then when I got into education, I'm like, okay, this is the best of both worlds because now I'm managing a room of junior developers and I also get to coach them, but I also get to do programming and teach them the programming concepts and how to shape that career. And that's yeah. what really set me on this on this track of like, okay, this is who I am. I'm an educator. This is who I am now. Um, and and really helped to find that in right. myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I, I think that's a very healthy approach description of, of a manager's role. I think a lot of people have the idea of what it means to be a manager completely wrong. They they kind of see it more as a as a, almost like a status thing, like, oh I'm manager, so I get to boss people around. It's like, no 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 no, right. no. A, a a true manager like um empowers others to be the best they can be. You're not trying to be the hero. I think that that's also a thing that I've sometimes run into where people have a hard time handing over something or bringing somebody else in because they want to be Mm -hmm. the one that made the thing happen. And it's like in sports, oftentimes the person who assists is way more important than the one who put the ball through the hoop. You know, it's, it's important to be, to work as a team to reach that angle. So I think that's a very healthy approach and I wish more managers would have that approach. I. Sort of in line with that, it's what somebody said this and it's not 100% true, but they say don't make people who want to be a manager, a manager, look at what they do. And if they inherently have managerial skills, offer them Mm. the opportunity to explore the, the position. So I think sometimes people who want to manage do it from a place of, you know, good, like, like what you said. Um, but sometimes you do get people who think getting into a manager role is a way to have like, I don't know, a way to control people or or, yeah, yeah. it's like just more control, so you have to be careful because that, that creates, quickly creates unhealthy working relationships. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So when you're not writing code, solving problems, what do you like to do in your spare slash free time? Uh,
1: My free time right now, I'm spending a lot of time, honestly, on the tech interview guide website and rebuilding some of the content there. I'm splitting a current newsletter that explores common questions that you'll face in an interview, but explaining them from a hiring manager's point of view of why we ask those kinds of questions. So it's not teaching you how to answer it perfectly, but it does let you understand why that question is important to us. There's a lot of content out there already on how to answer those things perfectly, but I wanted to explore it from a perspective mm-hmm. of this is why we ask these kinds of questions. But I've had mm-hmm. so many questions over the past year of live streaming around, like, how do I prepare for interviews? How do I stand out in interviews? Um, and just what is the interview process that I decided I was going to split the one newsletter into four different newsletters. So currently my free time gotcha. is, is mostly in, encompassing uh, rebuilding a lot of that content. But I also love video gaming um i'm a big fan of uh you know exploratory kind of rpgs you know where you can just wander around a world and, and so on i love video gaming with my kids i've got a labrador retriever that i like to uh, get outside with uh-huh. and, uh, and play with nice. but yeah there's a lot of family time uh water parks and, and there's lots to do in colorado Um uh, lots of you know trips up to the mountains and things like that
0: yeah yeah that's for sure i have a friend that also lives in colorado and i constantly like see his stuff on twitter and uh instagram and i'm like holy cow it's like you have like all the things you have like <laughs> in summer you have these beautiful hikes and winter you like ice climbing and you canoeing mm-hmm. and all these kind of things it's, it's, like, it's like an amazing place to live a cousin of mine also lived in Denver, Colorado for a while. She's in Hawaii now, which is like, oh, nice. Hawaii? That's where you live now? <laughs> um, That's great. But yeah, she as well. She was like, it's such a nice place to live. The people are super nice, and there's just so much variety. Like, you can't get bored, really. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's really great here. There's there's so much to do. Um, so yeah, whether we're going out for, like, family bike rides or just a trip up to the mountains or, you know, go on a road trip or something, uh-huh. there's there's lots to see and do around here. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, uh, thanks so much, Ian, for joining me today. This is really great to talk to you. I think in closing, I'd like to know a little more about Postman. I kinda I know what Postman is in in like essence, but I've never had anybody really explain to me exactly what is Postman and how how do developers use Postman?
1: Great question. So Postman started as a way to test APIs and specifically for RESTful APIs. It was meant to be well it started as a client of let me put in this url let me go call that api and and see the response and so on just as a way of understanding how do i then go implement this in my code so it was a way to sort of test that out but over the years we've expanded it quite a bit uh we're up to version 9 of the software now um and it it does so much more now so We still have that testing component. That's what we're most well known for, but we're actually a whole API platform where you can go design and develop your API inside of the platform Mm. where you can go in and say, I want to build a restful API that looks like this, and you can define all those endpoints, and then it'll go build all those collections of requests that even if you haven't developed the actual API yet, you can still plan and design what you want that developer experience or the user experience to be. Build out your documentation, Mm. build out all that test code, and now you can use all of that as a test-driven approach or behavior-driven approach to actually then go build the software yourself. Some of what the application will now do is actually generate some scaffold code code for you for um, like Python, Go, Java, and JavaScript backends where it'll get you started Mm -hmm. on how to go build that code. But on the client side, when you build out all the documentation, it'll also build out client snippets of... Lots of different languages, lots of different, uh, you know, frameworks, like there's three or four different ways Mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. you know, how to call this in JavaScript. If you want to use fetch, or if you want to use jQuery and so on, or if you want to use Python, you want to use the request library and so on. And so it'll also generate Mm -hmm. client side code. If you want to go build like an SDK or something, now you've got snippets of code to actually go call those endpoints. Um, And so the platform does quite a lot for both the consumer of the API, but also the producer of the API. And so a lot of what I'm doing is is curriculum development is teaching workshops about how to do these deeper concepts within Postman and how to do these things. So we have a whole program called Postman Space Camp, where we dive into these more advanced topics of how to use the software at these deeper levels and how to understand, you know, what is contract validation testing, you know, within an API. Well,
0: Mm.
1: to start with that, you have to know what an API contract is. But we've also done a lot of things yeah. around Open API, which is the newer version of Swagger. People are more familiar with the word, with the term Swagger. Uh, Open API yeah. is now yeah. like the new version of Swagger, basically. And so, just a lot of education around, you know, what is Open API? What is what does it mean to be an API first company? So we're doing a lot of education yeah. around that. So we've got lots of blog content, lots of video content. We also live stream as a team almost every week as a developer relations nice. team just to help educate people mm. on here's here's a problem that we want to solve. How can we solve that in Postman? And we explore different APIs or we'll explore a technology like what are webhooks? Let's go explore what webhooks mm. are and how we can use that inside of Postman. And uh, and so okay. we, we often do uh, a lot of partnership kinds of things, you know, uh, with different companies on the live stream uh, just to kind of hear about mm. their APIs as well. But as an application, we have mm. both a desktop app and a web app that you can use and they all do the, the exact same thing, uh, as far as like building gotcha. out the collections and so on. There are different limitations right. on both. That's why we have both. Um, yeah, we have, uh, we have quite a growing group of, folks using it. Uh, we just passed 20 million users on the platform, uh, you know, a couple of months Whoa. ago, so we are pretty excited about how many people are using Postman on a regular basis now, almost to the point where I'm, That's I'm amazing. actually starting to see it show up on resumes as a skill of, you know, I use Postman nice. for API consumption or API production, um, and starting to see that mm-hmm. showing mm-hmm. up now as, as a skill on a resume.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. I'm glad I asked, cause I had no idea about the production side. I, yeah. I thought it was just, uh, like, oh, it's a mock API thing. It's like, yeah. no, no, it's more than that. That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing this. This is really useful. I will spread the word about Postman and that it's more than just a way to mock APIs.
1: (laughs) And thanks so much again,
0: Ian, for joining me on your Saturday. Um, I really appreciate it. I think you've shared a whole ton of great information that our our listeners will really appreciate. And I will tell everybody, please go to techinterview.guide. There's a lot of really great stuff there. And we'll have links to everything in the show notes. Thanks so much, Ian. Um, Have a great rest of your day.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for letting me share some thoughts and uh, enjoy your weekend as well.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mycelium Network Podcast. If you're not already, please subscribe, store, and leave a review for us in your podcatcher of choice. This helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. You can also find and follow us on Twitter at networkmycelium.com and join the community on Discord. All
1: the links are available in the show notes.